Genre. Hello, and welcome to the latest in a series of podcast episodes discussing the Invasion of the Body Snatchers series of movies. This week we'll be discussing Philip Coffin's 1978 movie, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the last one to date to carry that full title, before they switch to two-word titles in an attempt to make it snappy. We'll be talking about the film point by point, and then comparing it to our Immunities audio drama at the end. I think this will be entertaining whether you've seen the movie or not, but if you happen to have the movie, you could put it on with the sound off if you like and use us as a commentary track. This is Bob J. Kester, and with me is... Susan Tekla-Kruglenska. I host the Shining 237 podcast. And... Maria Burnham. I'm with Immunities. All right. And Maria, who do you play in Immunities? I play a character that is integral to all three seasons of Immunities, Woman One. (laughs) All right. And uh, we hear Woman One in various stages of life. So what sort of thing would Woman One say before she gets taken over by the aliens? Oh, you know, something like, are you okay? Here, let me help you. (laughs) And then after being taken over, what would she sound like? Dominic Evans? Well, if Dominic won't come to the podium, we'll have to come to him. Everyone grab hold of Dominic. <laughs> and also, we not forget her radio broadcaster radio personality. Also a broadcaster. Authorities are now investigating both the homicide and the chain of events that led Professor Holbrook to have traveled so far from her assigned area. <laughs> Very good. So everybody should know who you are now. I know, yeah. <laughs> and I think so, that was key. Yeah. And Susan, uh, tell me a little bit about uh, Shining 237. Well, I've been looking at every two minutes and 37 seconds of Kubrick's horror masterpiece, The Shining, much in the tradition of, say, Star Wars Minute, some of the other minute by minute podcasts, except I'm doing two minutes, 37 seconds. And I'm just, (laughs) I just did the last, I just did the last scene. Um, So, so I'm wrapping it up, actually, and I'm doing the credits next for the finale. And, (laughs) and then, um, and then I'll be moving on to doing Rosemary's Baby, 666, every six minutes, (laughs) every six minutes and 66 seconds of Rosemary's Baby. I really like this concept. (laughs) Which, yeah. I guess some people would call it every seven minutes and six seconds. <laughs> exactly, are, exactly. Those are it's boring quite, it's, people. It's a little bit. It's a little bit of a joke. <laughs> oh yeah, and it should move along pretty well then. At that point, I guess. Then. It'll be twenty-one episodes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Shining was fifty-five, <laughs> but I did pretty well. Let me just brag that I got um, for my last episode. I got Katarina Kubrick, Stanley's daughter. I've had Dan Lloyd, who played Danny, and I've had uh, people who worked on the film on the show. So it's been really amazing. Oh, yeah. Dan Lloyd in particular. That was great. And, uh-huh. uh, yeah, that's it's just a great podcast in general. And Thank you. Susan, uh, as you can hear, is a fan of horror movies of this general period when Invasion of the Body Snatchers 78 was made. And, Indeed. Uh, so we are very happy to have her here with us. All right, I'm just going to go straight into the movie Qua Movie. So this was made 22 years after the first movie. And, and is the one that I think people think of when you say Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Pretty much unless you saw it in history class or you're a big film nerd, I think like that's the one, the oldest yeah. one you've seen. And almost as many cases, the only one you even are aware uh, yes, of. Yes, that was the only one I knew existed <laughs> before this podcast began. 
I had seen the the first one a few times. I, I it seems to me in my childhood, it would run on like Channel Eleven PIX in New York New York City area. Every so often, they used to show old black and white movies, and mm-hmm. I think that was one that they used to show. So I I was aware of it definitely. Yeah, and I'd yeah I'd seen it in history class, and then my uh, dad, who uh, Susan knows. Yep. Uh, who collects 16 millimeter? Bought a whole school systems mm-hmm. store of 16 millimeter. So the print that other people had seen in their history class eventually you became ours. Owned. Yeah, so we would watch that every once in a while, like at Halloween or something. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, and we certainly enjoyed talking about that uh, last, <laughs> last week, <laughs> which will be recorded in uh, three days from now. So, <laughs> like it's sort, it's sort of memento, like we're recording these things in the opposite order that they're going yeah. to be. Uh, released which now that I think about it I wonder if somebody's thought about doing like a memento movies by minute in which they like do them do it <laughs> yeah, in the opposite order backwards yeah that would be fun and then either release it forwards or release it backwards I'm not sure which one would be better someone should but, do that for Jaws Jaws would be a good one for that oh yeah because everybody knows that movie so well yeah that's true alright free <laughs> ideas for uh, our listeners out there yeah <laughs> So um, we begin uh, with some spooky music and shots from what seems to be a distant planet where there's these gossamer wisps of something slowly mm-hmm. lifting up off the planet and going into space. I believe this is the only movie that mm-hmm. actually shows yeah, the extraterrestrial start of the origin. I had forgotten that. You know, I just rewatched it. It had been a while since I had seen this. And it's so dar- that's really daring. And, and they did a beautiful job. I mean, the special effects are actually quite amazing. Oh, yeah, all throughout. And I'd say even more so these early parts than the later parts, just because everything is just so just off on its own. It seems like they could really put the time in to make it look really disturbing. And yeah. Real. I'd actually just rewatched it this week and had forgotten that was how the movie started. So <laughs> oh, Bob yeah, me just too. brought it up right now. <laughs> I forgot it again. <laughs> and then we're given to understand it floats to Earth because you know, see Earth and the music gets scarier. And then it's it's funny, they show things like rain and stuff like that. And in some parts of it, there's some effect going on. You see that this goo is attached mm-hmm. itself to plants and stuff like that. But in other parts, there's not even anything there, but it's still scary. You know, yes. It's just like, oh my God, water's falling from the sky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why are the gods hate us? The goo is great, though. The goo is great. Oh, oh yeah, there's the goo. Mm-hmm. And then you get the little tiny things. And then you get the tendrils. Yeah. And then you see the tendrils growing. Yeah, which yeah, yeah. I didn't even look into how they did that because I kind of don't want to know. But they, it, like, they did oh, it. Yeah. The, guess. Guess guess how they did it. Um, I guess my thought is that it's something kind of like a snake or something like that. You they, know, did like it, a, they, did, a... they did it backwards. They pulled the tendrils oh. in. And then reversed it, which they did also in Alien. There's a lot of reverse shots in Alien. You know, it's a, it's a really nifty, like, you never think of it special effects <sighs> doing things backwards. Wow. Okay, yeah, that's not something that even occurred to me. So, yeah, that starts happening. And then eventually we see the little flowers that we'll be yeah, seeing more flowers. of throughout. Yeah. And we start with our, what seems like it might be our main character, uh, played by Brooke Adams. <laughs> seemingly normal person and kind of the only seemingly normal person in the entire movie (laughs) everybody else is kind of a kook in one way or another so i guess she's in a way she's in a way kind of the the us of the movie yeah so yeah there's this class who are being encouraged to take the flowers by a teacher who is on the long list of people who might be taken might not be might just be a foolish person right (laughs) yeah but we think that people are taken already, mostly because we have this priest played by Robert Duvall who's swinging in the back. <laughs> Total swinging. non sequitur. <laughs> Robert Duvall on a swing, dressed as a priest. <laughs> you know, why not? Like you do. Which, I mean, it's kind of weird. I mean, if you try to put it up against 
how the aliens act later. Because amongst the, having seen four of these, there's sort of a spectrum mm-hmm. in how well the aliens are able to pretend to be normal people. And even in this film, it varies quite a bit. <laughs> but, you know, most of them don't engage in just like openly crazy <laughs> behavior. So it could be that it's just, it's San Francisco in the 70s. We've got swinging priests. Hey, hey, he said so, the, the director said something like, I just felt like we needed to have a priest in there somewhere. Because <laughs> they're unsettling. Well, they're unsettling. I think the exorcist had already come out at this point, right? So we've established that priests are scary. Yeah, they, yeah that's true. There's something haunting about a yeah. priest. And also, this, our monster just starts off by taking out the priests. Right. <laughs> like, we're starting where guys. the other films end, yeah. So we get a little bit of that, and so obviously she's a little freaked out, and then, uh, <laughs> but not very much. And then we, I think from there, we jump straight to this restaurant kitchen mm-hmm. scene, which I remembered the scene for a long time, but I did not remember it was from this movie. Like, I remembered it as if it was from a Pink Panther movie. It's like it's very like, comedy, yeah. You know, it's like it is a it is a kipper. It is a turd. And the first time we see uh, Donald Sutherland is through, like, the spy holes. It's like yeah, it, yeah. his face is even more distorted than it is in real life. Yeah. They're definitely leaning way into, like, the sort of wedge <laughs> shape of his face. Yes. And it makes a nice double to the last scene of him, which we'll be getting to in a while. Yeah, he comes in, and he's obviously very devoted to either to his job or just to <laughs> screwing with people. Or, yeah. like, some combination of the two. Yeah, exactly. And possibly the power of his job, I think, which might feed into some lines later, that he just expects people to fall in line. And they wanted him to be a little bit sciencey, but not like full dead on scientists. So they they were trying to find a job that's, you know, kind of (laughs) fits into that. So that works pretty well for setting up his character, definitely. And then we see uh, Brooke Adams and her husband, who... Would loser be too strong a term for him? <laughs> it's, it's like before he's taken over. You know, so oh, he, he's listening to the sports events with, with, a, with like headphones the full headphones. You know, yeah, which I guess you probably didn't have as many headphone options that you, you, no. you didn't have earbuds back no. then. But like you, know, you at least but, could have like one of those monophones. But thing, but also your TV has speakers. So. <laughs> well, I, th- I assume that it's an agreement with her that you know he's not going to just blast sports in the. She wasn't all, even but. home. He was just sitting there by himself. <laughs> Watching the sports with his headphones well, on. You, you can tell that a million. Uh, there have been a hundred occasions where she was reading was like, "Put on your headphones." <laughs> so he's now used to that. I mean, they're a very strange match. You know, they don't match at all. She's right. this intellectual scientist, you know, book bookish woman, and he's a frat boy, uh, but he's adorable. <laughs> And I love that, you know, in 1978, they're matching up this nerdy girl with this cute guy. I like yeah, that, his, you know. His, his wonderful hair swoop. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, and he's very affectionate he, where he wants, you know, he, he seems to be definitely like he wants affection when he wants affection, but he wants to turn right. it off like yeah. when he's got something else that's distracting him. Like the sports. <laughs> and I suppose you could say she's kind of the same way, except on her side, it's the science. Well, I think uh, I think they wanted to accentuate because he's the first one we really see up close turning, and so you had to give him a lot of human human yeah. faults, yeah, human faulty faulty behavior. And I suppose it could be a, sort of a thing that like their relationship is basically that their common ground of their relationship basically is physical affection, and mm-hmm. that they don't have a lot of else in common, and so that that might be key to when she figures out that there's something wrong with him is when that's suddenly gone, <laughs> leaving them with nothing. Mm-hmm. So she just goes to bed, leaving her little, oh yeah, so she grabbed one of the flowers and she's really interested in it. And she's like, oh, it's like some sort of crossbreed between things. Yeah, she's trying to do all the research with the books. Yeah, and and of course then he wants to get handsy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So she goes to bed, wakes up the next morning, and he's not, well, well, Don Sutherland called and like 
browbeat her into coming right, in right. the next morning to, Early. with like lots of compliments mostly. <laughs> and uh But he's in a suit. Is he in a suit at this point? Cuz oh, oh, the, the, next the husband, morning. yeah, yeah I'm sort of I, yeah, I sort of backtracked for a second. But yeah, when she wakes up in the morning in order he's to get sitting come into there, work right? Early. He's just yeah. sitting in a chair looking at it. Well, no, he's right? he's he's uh cleaning the glass of the broken of the plant thing flower. off the ground. Yeah. Right. Though it still leaves some questions in terms of the rules of this as we find them out later, but we could debate that as we go along because <laughs> theoretically he should have left a full dusty collapsed corpse yeah. on the bed <laughs> he does, which he somehow got rid of he does toss it you see it you see him tossing it later the so garbage yeah he exactly might just, he might have just shoved it under the bed just yeah that's possible quickly. and hopefully it doesn't leave like a big residue or something like that and by the time they make it to the garbage truck it's always this big sort of dust bunny yeah thing, yeah which is yeah it gets increasingly Cobbledy. disturbing every time you see yeah. it yeah one thing I found interesting is that he, because I'm always looking for outside interests or, you know, any kind of, like, interest in anything from the pod people other than just, you know, <laughs> efficient pod peopling. And he actually just stands there and watches the truck go for quite a while, yeah. which I found interestingly <laughs> sentimental on their part. I mean, I don't think it's a flaw. I think it's just interesting. Yes. Goodbye to my old self. Yeah. yeah. He's, wow, that, that, that happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, go on. I was going to say, it's just such a great touch to have all these garbage trucks all over the city working already. It's already happening. And because you're so, it's just so much a part of every city and every town, you know, is garbage sanitation. To imagine that, like, that might have been the first thing that they took over because they knew they'd need it. And uh-huh. there's just a, a wonderful creep factor to that because we're just so used to seeing that every turning a corner and seeing a garbage truck doing its thing and and the fact that here every time we see it it's it's got those things in it it's just uh, brilliant it's brilliant well that's yeah, an interesting point because also sanitation strikes were so much a part of the 60s oh, yeah. and the the opposite of what the pod people are right <laughs> it's like it was a symbol of anti-government mm-hmm. status quo and, and the first thing they've done is take over with sanitation services and then have them work basically 24 right. 7 right exactly <laughs> <laughs> it's also interesting in lieu of body snatchers which we'll be talking about next week it seems like you know they're taking over this mil- this military base and it seems like they focused on the mps mm-hmm. first yeah and then in the invasion they focused on the public health authorities first yeah so each one of them has a different strategy mm-hmm. for how to go about these things so, yeah, then we're at the next morning. She's like gets dressed, goes off to work. So she's a little freaked out, but just she's not just, very. I think she's weirded out that he's up. Yeah. It, it struck me that like he's a dude that sleeps in and she woke up and he wasn't next to her. Right. We already get a guy running down the street. We don't know that it's necessarily related to the thing, but of course, the, we just sort of assume it is. Right? Yes. I don't think anyone's chasing him, like visibly chasing him at that no, point. No, no. Yeah. We, we get those later. Uh, we are introduced to the guitar guy and his dog. Yes, I, I forgot how heavy-handedly they laid down the foreshadowing of that. Yeah. They actually oh, yeah, did it like yeah. three times. Yeah. And I didn't remember that that was laid down quite so heavily. Oh yeah, and then the back justification once 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 it pays off is like much heavier than I than it yeah. was. But yeah. we'll talk about that when we get there. <laughs> it's like the one moment everyone remembers from this film. Yes. So. Right. And uh, listening already knows. <laughs> so they live in this. They, they work in this wonderful government building that's full of like frosted glass windows, which I think is the the best window to have in horror <laughs> films because people's faces can appear and disappear, and people are just kind of silhouettes. And it seems as if there are people just sort of standing by the windows watching, but <laughs> yeah. you can't quite tell. 
So that was beautiful. Yeah, no, they're definitely, you know, the one there's one shot where the guy is definitely looking. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's so full of, yeah, so full of random people running, random people looking at you. It's just wonderfully choreographed, you know what I mean? In a way, like, yeah. like the extras are wonderfully choreographed. And from the very beginning, I think you have the janitor guy who seems like he's already a pod person too. Oh, he's yeah. Probably that... part of the sanitation worker takeover. <laughs> that's the cinematographer doing a cameo, by the way. Oh, oh really? I didn't know that. that. Oh, that's wonderful. Yep, and and, and uh, let's big nod to the cinematography in this movie. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's amazing. And, like, we haven't seen the showiest part of it yet, but like, yeah, it's, it's pretty much great throughout. It's so great. So she tries to tell Donald Sutherland he he neither entirely he he, he doesn't believe her but he doesn't ignore her so right. he's like rating a five I think on our people being told that they, right that there's he, something wrong scale he wants her to see a psychiatrist which is yeah, yeah. you know it's it makes sense you know it's 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 uh, you know makes it makes it's it's not it's it's realistic. Yeah, well, and he's pretty he, good with the, with selling the psychiatrist. You know, he'll yeah. help you eliminate possibilities. You know, yeah. it's like yeah. you know, he may become gay. He may become a Republican. You know, like, <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> Even then, that was somehow applicable. That was right after Watergate, so I yeah. feel like yeah. this one is the most applicable to current political. Oh, sure. It's true. Situ- and very, and not too long after this, like you know, when like in 1980, Saturday Night Live would do a full-on Invasion of the Body Snatchers yeah. like parody, which was all about people suddenly being willing to vote for yeah, Reagan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, these two, I think they're what you would call today work spouses in a yeah, way. You know, yeah. Like, may possibly like going as far as have. Well, I think they sort of develop an emotional affair during the course of this, and then followed by like possibly the real thing. But like, I mean, you, they were in very traumatic situations. <laughs> Yeah, that's true, and it seems like he's very like yeah dismissive of her husband, but at the same time not thinking that there's any chance that she and her husband are actually going to break up. Until he realizes he's a pod person. (laughs) Exactly. And the the little Chinese laundry. um, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That that is great. Uh, One thing I was wondering about is this point where he points out the coffee stain to the lady, and she's like, "That not coffee." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's like, is that some specific reference I'm not getting because yeah. is that bong water or something yeah, like that because he's like I spilled it myself <laughs> yeah I know that's it's, it's strange of yeah. all the things not to trust him <laughs> and she's and she's already transferred so she's right. not gonna you know she's not gonna I'm just not gonna lie about it Josh yeah. with him yeah <laughs> although she's not the same one because I think the wife of the guy who's you know, who does the that's not my wife thing is somebody who works. Oh, in the it's back. someone slightly different. Yeah. Oh, I didn't who, like, know. Who, I sort of all, who doesn't show up until after he starts oh, talking about it. Oh, I see. Yeah, her. you're right. Yeah, I'm looking at it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, I, I watched that scene pretty closely because I'm, I was hypersensitive for like yellow peril <laughs> stuff, which I think they, they sort of flirt with, with without going there completely. <laughs> yeah, and we see, and you know, wherever we look, there are more dust bunnies being compacted in the backs of those <laughs> trucks, which is, yeah, even scarier, I think, on rewatch than it is on the, <laughs> the first watch. But yeah, Sutherland says that they should go see David Kibner. So he's trying to call her at some point. Oh, that's right. He's trying to call her to like, probably to try to get her to go to the book party, but she's kind of disappeared. And then she like startles him by the elevator. And it turns out that's when the story comes about about she, how she's been following her husband. All right, day. right, yes. And that, again, is all like very shaky camera work, you know, right, where right. you're on the street kind of watching the the, the husband doing stuff tasks yeah. 
And it's very 70s. It's very like. I was going to say, there are a lot of those 70s long shots where she's at the top of the escalator, but you get that sense of distance where she's like watching him down a very long building. It felt like the conversation. The conversation was exactly what I was going to say, or blow blow up, or anything like Yeah, all those things. Also, very 70s is a lot of lack of music. There doesn't have to be soundtrack every minute. And I love that. You know, I love that there's a lot of. Oh, yeah. Although we do have this great respirating slash heartbeat thing, which I'm yeah. sure is uh, thanks to our old friend Ben Burt. Ben Burt did, did the sound for Star Wars and is just literally a wizard. As far as I'm <laughs> that was his wife's um, fetus uh, actual sonogram recording. Oh <laughs> yep, it is. I read that. <laughs> the soundtrack is his child. Yep. <laughs> you were in films before you were born. <laughs> Oh, man. And so in a couple of weeks, uh, another prediction of mine, I will be noting how in uh, The Invasion, <laughs> aliens never check their six, but they also never notice that humans do. Obviously, the husband doesn't because he does yeah. not notice her, no, nor do any of the other aliens nope. notice her. I think these aliens are very confident and unconcerned for the most part. Doing this is just thing. happening. Yeah. <laughs> I think somewhere in here, they start to establish that Donald Sutherland's character is a bit of a conspiracy theorist, right? Because he's cutting out all these articles about alien things and these... Oh, is that what they were about? I meant yeah. to look at them, but I didn't... I, I guess like, I had just assumed they were about his triumphs No, they were like on the corkboard and, and there's one scene later in the movie where they're like close up and he's manically cutting paper. Oh yeah, I'll have yeah. something to say about that yeah. when we get there. <laughs> Definitely. And like, yeah. and so with the hubby, now we see the full-size pods for the first mm-hmm. time since yeah. the 50s movie, just carrying those around. And <laughs> just walking around town, and of course, giant pods. Yeah, and then of course, are we up to so, so the scene where they're driving and the windshield is well, we know the windshield is already broken, but yeah, I mean it's oh, just yeah. a great effect. You know, you see all these cracks everywhere, but they oh, right. shoot through the windshield, and they set yeah. it up so nicely. Yeah, exactly, because it also shows sort of man's humanity to man, and the fact right. that people just don't like Donald Sutherland. Right. You know, yeah. that, that they threw the threw a wine bottle, bottle at his window, his yeah. but also just part of the, the distorted mirrors and the yeah. keyhole, and you know all these crazy ways of looking at things. But oh, then, yeah. And then uh, on there, then the person who runs up and says, they're coming, they're coming. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Who isn't just any person. That's Kevin no, McCarthy, Kevin star Gordon. of the 56, yeah. who spent 22 years running down the mountain to get to Los Angeles. <laughs> Morning, everybody. Finally there, gets everybody. killed. Yeah, he exactly. He is the, uh, the original guy, the original Donald Sutherland uh, in that great movie. Exactly. And you get to see playing that kind of role uh, one more time, like in the early 2000s, in the very weird Anthony Hopkins making a movie movie, uh, The Slipstream, in which there's just this beautiful scene where he's at this roadside diner and, you know, and like he's waiting to pay his check. And the waitress says, okay, can I do something for you, pumpkin? He's like, oh, I think this gentleman ahead of me is next. And then Kevin McCarthy turns around and looks at him and says, no. You're next. (laughs) 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 And he's just there playing himself, you know. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, you're Kevin McCarthy, aren't you? (laughs) It's a very bizarre movie, but if you you love... If and only if you love movies about the makings of movies, I think it's it's a good movie to see. (laughs) So... Kevin McCarthy runs down and does the the mandatory you're next, you're next, and then uh, runs off. And gets... Yeah, and he is, in fact, followed by a bunch of people, which you get the one line from uh, Donald Sutherland, he must have done something. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Obviously, somebody's being persecuted. They must have done something. So he's a little bit part of the system there, Donald Sutherland is. 
Oh, and just as a movie-making thing that I admire, like, he starts telling this joke, the camel core joke, yeah. to calm down Brooke Adams, and he <laughs> starts to tell it, and then she stops him because she's, oh, wait, I know where this goes, and he's, can I tell it to you anyway? And she's, okay, and then Kevin McCarthy comes up. Yeah. <laughs> and so we never hear the joke. <laughs> yeah. The director, the director, but let me say that I got, I, I got some of my information from the, in, I guess on the DVD release, they have a... Um, director's commentary through the whole thing and i listened to a good chunk of that and it's really good so if anybody loves this movie it's really worth listening to there's actually a commentary on youtube you can find it uh you know you can find the commentary but anyway he said that that was again it's sort of like the broken glass a lot of broken conversation and just these he he considered all of these main characters introverts which he wanted Mm -hmm. them to be you know kind of quirky introverts it just gave it a more fractured feeling and again it's very it does feel it still feel it's also a 70s feel i think people don't do that so much anymore where they are so realistic with the conversation like that yeah and i mean and there's a ballsiness to just leaving you put it making it that way and just leaving it that way (laughs) even though it has nothing to do with the plot per se which i associate with like david lynch does that a few times in twin peaks for instance they'll be visiting a dead body and the light is just flickering in a way that would drive people crazy right and all you get is the morgue attendant says i have to apologize again about the light and then it's that way for the whole rest of the scene. It's like, okay, we've explained. Or they walk into the room and there's a moose head just sitting in the middle of the table. And like the girl whose room it is is just, oh, it fell. <laughs> and so you've got it like staring into the camera for the whole rest of the scene. So stuff like that, you know, where it's, no, this is what I want. And I'm willing to do the minimum possible necessary to justify it. But it's mostly here just because that's how I want it to look. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. So then shortly after that, uh, they go to the book party and we meet the... Larval form of Jeff Goldblum. Oh my God. <laughs> Who you could so almost think. manic. If you think of pod person terminology, doesn't he look like he's sort of the unformed version of Jeff yeah. Goldblum? Yeah, like, <laughs> there's just certain crags and stuff that I've just assumed were part of his facial structure that he doesn't have yet. <laughs> so young. But he's just so great and just combative with everyone from the very beginning over. You know, just, yeah, oh, he's wow. such a great. Frustrated poet. <laughs> Great presence, great presence. Like the casting of him was somebody's just brilliant stroke of luck. Yeah. I also wonder if, like, it was partially because they wanted somebody who was kind of a height match for Donald Sutherland, because I hadn't really noticed that they were both so tall. At some point, you know, it's like, oh, I'm six foot four, as if it was nothing. Getting you know, and then they tower over Leonard Nimoy, who I think of as being fairly tall. Yeah. <laughs> and again, you have the funky mirror in the back while he's on the phone. He's, oh yeah, he's trying right. to he's trying to report the incident to the police and the, oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and he's very, I mean, he's like a bureaucrat in a nineteenth century play or something <gasps> like that. He's very huffy when people aren't giving him. It's like I am making a, a report as a citizen, and he's very focused on making this report. While Jeff Goldblum is like being crazy like i can't even listen to what he's saying i don't know how he can focus like that i know you almost get a headache if you try to follow both of them at once it's it's, you have to sort of take it in turns and jeff goldie even like you know starts doing like funny like crazy like grabs the phone and starts just talking about these type stuff and oh man it's just wonderfully it's like yeah obviously these two are not going to accomplish anything in a conspiracy situation they're just like (laughs) completely ill-suited for it well and they've lost the woman they came he came there with she's wandered off and having this other scene (laughs) yeah oh yeah that's right (sighs) no concern about her it's just such a great they're just such beautifully well-rounded characters they're just right each their own person for sure there's a great segue back to her too because there's the part you know like jeff goldblum is where's homer Where's this? Where's this? And then Sutherland goes, where's Catherine? Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, Nimoy is there with uh, your a second. My spouse is not my spouse right. person. Who he is just. Trying Treat, every single treating, angle. Treating at the book party, right? <laughs> aggressively. <laughs> aggressively yeah. treating. And so I guess my theory is that he isn't taken yet, but he's just doing the alien's job for them on just every level. <laughs> yeah. Point. Which I assume that's something they're saying is either like this is the same behavior that we're, that the aliens are standing in for, but we were going to let you see the un-alien, mm-hmm. you know, the normal human version of it for a second, mm-hmm. or... Yeah, he's or smiling what? like, he's smiling right crazy, so he's definitely not switched yet but yeah but you can try to get them to hug it out that weird scene where they're like all three hugging she's got he's got the husband and the woman right right although it seems almost as if i mean we could talk about this more as it goes along it seems as if he's the one who changes the least oh when he's taken over and it's almost as if like maybe if your personality is relatively compatible with theirs then that just doesn't change as much or it's a statement on psychology or psychoanalysm (laughs) exactly that like yeah that part of him is so well developed because it seems like then he also kind of is able well we'll get to it (laughs) but again great great panning shots of guests just spooky guests you know oh yeah exactly like and you know they make a point that there's no pattern the the race or age or anything of the it's just like people you just have to get used to the alien face that they have strange people as Brooke Adams calls them by which I assume she means just people who should be strangers to one another and yet they and that they are communicating something yeah and let's see Nimoy complains about him having closed down the French restaurant which I thought was <laughs> I didn't notice that until like the fourth time I saw this which that was great and then they have that scene out on the street corner and Nimoy's when he's const- when he starts attacking Jeff Goldblum yeah. which is just that's just great out of nowhere <laughs> he's like you see Stupid pop psychology. So, what was your reaction when I did that? Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, it's just so like any <laughs> reasonable board would have taken away his medical license a long time ago. Right, but, right. but yeah, he's a best-selling author, so that's probably hard. <laughs> yeah, then he manages to talk everybody down basically, mm-hmm. and Sutherland tells Goldblum to go away, and it's which I almost want a whole movie about Goldblum's character because the way he <laughs> takes that is go away. Okay. (laughs) As if he, like, every once in a while, he's like, oh, right, every once in a while I get really annoying and then somebody tells me to go away. So I guess this is one of those cases. I have no ability to sense that in myself, but I guess (laughs) I trust Donald Sutherland, so I'll, I'll do it. And he's very down after that. And then it seems. You do wonder how they know each other, right? Oh, yeah, that's true. That's completely un. Unexplained. They did like don't you wouldn't think they move in the same world. <laughs> and he, why is he why is he there hoping he can read some of his poetry before the book launch? Like that was the whole premise of Jeff Goldblum's character being there. Was maybe there was supposed read? to be an opening act, but there were so many people who had to be told that there were no body snatchers. Psychology but book. There's <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> this guy that works for the <laughs> Right, and uh, you know, Nimoy, like, servant. Yeah. Sutherland and Burke is about to drive Booker Adams away, and Nimoy's like, take her home. Yeah. Take her home. With this sort of sense of, don't take advantage of her condition to sleep with her, just take her home. But on the other hand, if he is an alien, he wants her to go home, because that's where the pod yeah. is waiting for her. Mm-hmm. So, it could be arguments either way on that one. And then we're off to the Belichick Mud Bathory. Yes. <laughs> so random. Which it took me a while rewatching this the first time to realize that he actually is Belichick because I don't yeah. know if they call yeah. him that up until yeah. I thought maybe just she was but until the fat guy starts calling him that yeah. the Belichicks and yeah. uh, married lots of greens yeah. the director said you know green is the color the scheme the color scheme he wanted for this movie mm. so he's, see a lot of green it's... and very much in the uh, shining uh, tradition it seems as if his wife does one hundred percent of the work <laughs> yes <laughs> oh definitely <laughs> yep and I. I'm a huge Veronica Cartwright fan, by the way. 
Oh yeah, she's so good in this, and uh, I need to rewatch. I haven't watched Alien in forever. That's like the one. To other me, thing I've she seen is. Her. I would have, you know, I always say, I I almost wish she had been Ripley, which she was supposed to be in the beginning. She had been bumped for Sigourney Weaver, but mm. I love Veronica Cartwright. I think she's such a better actress actually than Sigourney Weaver, and mm. I love her. She's like Shelley Duvall actually in The Shining, where you feel the horror through her. She's her horror <laughs> is so authentic. I love her. <laughs> and uh, and she does just a great job with giving the sense that she's what keeps this place running, right. just her boundless energy. Yes. I mean, and maybe the whole place was... Her, I, I'm hoping the whole place was her dream rather yeah. than Jeff's dream that she's having <laughs> yes. to like, realize herself. <laughs> but yeah, and he's very down, falls asleep, and then... Uh, well, there's this scene where yeah, they... Yeah. Oh, yeah. All the weirdness. Oh, right. They do a long shot where just a single tear goes down. Oh, yeah, that's right. He's <laughs> crying while he listens to the music. I thought right. that was really strange. That was a very... There's- and then there's, there's the, the guy, Russian guy, like there's reading with the bubble in the, bubble, in the bubble yeah, bath, bubble yeah. Bath. yeah. And the other guy having trouble getting out, and yeah. she has to help him out, and then gives him a massage, naked butt, and everything. Yeah. So here's a question: Where does <laughs> Jeff Goldblum get the nosebleed from? I, know. I don't know. It is. Does it's very just... strange. They don't explain what? that. Watching it the first time, I thought I might have missed something, and Leonard Nimoy might have knocked him into something or something. But yeah, it just comes out of nowhere. It feels like a, a they cut. You know, there was a scene that that, that was cut. Got cut. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so he falls asleep. She the finds Russian the body. Guy disappears. Yes. Yeah, right. Well, well Russian... not yet. She finds the body. Uh, you know, the the alien pod person growing body. Uh, and then as his eyes close, as he falls asleep, its eyes open, and then she screams, and then his eyes open, and its eyes close. Yeah. Which is a very nice yeah. cut, 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 cut. You know, like there's no mistaking the uh, the mechanism that's happening back and forth between the two of them. Yeah. Yeah, they bring in Sutherland, who like never identifies himself. There's like several <laughs> scenes where he's knock, 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 and they're like, who is it? And then eventually they just open the door and he's it's there. It's him, and it's yeah. Like, I don't identify myself. That's not what I do. <laughs> if you have, that's what you should have a spy pole put in, like the French restaurant, so you can see that it's me. And then they talk about the body and uh, yeah and there's a line i just like because they talk about like how unformed it is and stuff like that and he's like well it's obviously an adult and and where it's an adult and then he's like but look look, it's this it's like a baby and somebody says but you said it was an adult and he just says i said it was an adult because it was tall (laughs) 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 and it's a nicely done um you know again nicely done practical effect just a great great model whoever did it did a good job yeah, I know. Like, through the whole thing, I was trying to say, is that, like, a guy in latex, or is that, like, a dummy? Or well, like, I think I read that they all had to have full body casts. So yeah, that's true. I think Though that might have actually... been more for the, a scene coming up, yeah. like, the, the garden scene. But, yeah, it could be either but one. They cast on an actor, so that sort of looked like Jeff Goldblum. Right. And something, Donald Sutherland puts something together and decides he has to call Elizabeth. And, you know, right, <laughs> And uh, I mean, it makes a certain amount of, it's like weirdness, weirdness. Just his belief in normality is slowly being eroded away. And so he's reevaluating her story in line of that. And of course, Jeff Goldblum's combative about that because he's combative about everything. It's like, why? Why are you calling her? Why? He's like a five-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just mention before we jump to the um, Donald Sutherland going to rescue Brooke Adams, that it, it, it sort of jumps back and forth. But at one point, the tendrils kind of touch 
Jeff Goldblum. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then he runs to the door, and there stands Leonard Nimoy. Right. Oh, right. They, he had told them the call, though. And right. to me, right, right, right. that's the point where he's a looker. To me, that that's what, I feel like that's what the movie's trying to, because he, just the way yeah. they do that so dramatically, and, and Leonard's like a jump scare, you know, and, and he's so yeah, exactly. serious. He's dead serious looking. I think that's the point where we're supposed to, he's, he's changed over at that point, I think. Yeah, I'd say that's the most likely point. I think it could be argued that you're just seeing him without like his sort of glad handing face on uh-huh. because uh-huh. because it's just him and Jeff Goldblum. But yeah, I think you're you're most likely right. That would be the one to put the money on. They, yeah, so, they called and woke him up, right? Wasn't yeah, well, he says that they woke him up. They, you yeah. don't actually get the. I don't think you actually hear like his side of the call at all. Yeah, you, you just hear the other side. Through this, there's various uh, Donald Sutherland calling. Brooke Adams trying to get her for some reason, and you see the husband standing yeah. there looking. And you could easily cut those scenes together into just a conventional workplace romance, and the husband is psychotically jealous sort of thing, but keep keeping it tamped down, because yeah, it yeah. seems like that undercurrent is there, even though, as an alien, he shouldn't have those sorts of feelings, and maybe doesn't. But it's just interesting that they're just sort of letting those beats play as they go along. So Sutherland uh, breaks into the house very meticulously. Yes. Like, he yeah. seems to like, know what he's doing. It's like, no, you, know, you break. Like he the, scoped you, out you, the house before. Yeah, yeah like exactly. he was like, it's like, if I break this pane of glass, then I can undo the latch. Then I can open the window. Then I can pull the bar. Well, up, he and then like, I can open the door. Like I'm not. He looks gonna... in the front door or something first, and then remembers about the back door. I think <laughs> he's got a crush on her. Yeah. you don't know how to break. <laughs> out the house. You don't know how to break into somebody's house unless you have a crush on them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he was probably just always sort of secretly hoping she would clue in about her husband. But, uh, <laughs> but he didn't want to be, like, on record as having encouraged it. Or anything like right. that. He just wants it to sort of happen. Yeah, he goes in there, finds the body in their little mini terrarium in the middle of their house. Yeah, it's random. That <laughs> was kind of interesting looking. I guess so, she's, is she supposed to be a botanist or something, maybe? Well, she works... She, she works in the lab. Yeah, maybe she wanted to be a botanist, but yeah. she ended up as sort of like assistant scientist in the for the public health department sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. or her expertise could be in plant... Yeah, or her interest, Whatever, at least. Yeah. You, know, you know, it's not her day job, but it's like where her, her job was as close as she could get. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, takes her out of there. And then they come back, and Leonard Nimoy is pronouncing that there's no body in the uh, mud baths. Which I think that's a place where you are you have to take kind of a leap. That, that Jeff Goldblum was willing to leave Leonard Nimoy in those things alone to right. expect it. Basically locked out of his own place. Yeah. Because the window's open. I think there's a scene with the window's mm-hmm, open. Mm-hmm. So you get this sense. And there's, like, the trash men in the back. Yeah, yeah exactly. Getting rid of something, yeah. which yeah. I guess an alternative theory could be that Leonard Nimoy like locked Goldblum out just because he didn't trust him, yeah. and then went in, found the body, and got taken over, and then like it's Nimoy's body yeah. that just got thrown away. But that takes that's quite a reach. But yeah. pretty much any explanation for it requires a little bit of a reach, because <laughs> why would they leave him alone? <laughs> why why at all? But they did, and so we will move on on that basis. <laughs> so everything's gone, and. I do like his, I think you're going to have to face that your friend, you know, you have friends with a sixth sense of humor. And then Goldblum <laughs> says, I don't have any friends. <laughs> so he's got self-pity on top of everything else, or perhaps just a, a self-awareness. And then eventually we get our way back to Brooke Adams's house again, but without Brooke Adams. Oh, that's right. They, yeah, they send they the women off. First. He's like, yeah, women go off to the safe place. We're going to go investigate fear further they go well donald sutherland and brooke adams go back oh that's right because they want to show Leonard nimoy the other body yeah and they call the police on 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, he calls the police and tells them there's a body at Brooke Adams' house. Right, and so everybody meets there. Yeah. And you have this kind of weird scene where, like, you know, I mean, obviously the body's gone, so that's a given, but Leonard Nimoy is seems to be like because it seems like the police are inclined to just arrest Sutherland right like yeah. it's just like wife is gone crazy man has admitted to taking her right we put crazy man in prison right. and Namori actually like seems to talk them out of that yeah and it seems like the husband is almost a little disbelieving so I, th- I find this an interesting case because we established later the aliens don't have any kind of group consciousness or anything like yeah. that you know they, they sort of get along but the husband is kind of having to wing it, follow, like, Nimoy's lead, but not too close, not yeah. give away the fact that they're in cahoots yeah. with each other. And it's kind of weird. So he's like, so, like, when the policeman is, do you want to press charges? The husband sort of looks at Nimoy and he's like, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but then they're like, all right, well, I'm going to grab your wife's clothing and we're going right, to, and then yeah. he's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, is she coming back? And he says, no. Yeah. <laughs> I need to get some of her clothes. And he's like, okay. Okay. Which one of, somebody I saw it with like posited the theory that this was just Sutherland's final like is this guy at all human? Like, yeah. Test? If this guy was any semblance of the guy who I knew, he would not be just standing still mm-hmm. for me saying this. And he's, yeah, sure, fine, whatever. Okay. <laughs> uh, but notice he's wearing green and lots of weird camera angles. We you know when it comes to him, it's like the camera zooms in at one point. It's kind of funny. Um, yeah. But... So does anybody have any idea what that thing is that Nimoy's wearing on his hand? No, this, it just oh. shows up, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, in the, in the director's commentary, he said that <clears throat> Nimoy had some friend who needed that for some medical reason, and he just decided it looked cool. He wanted something that distinguished I, him. It just, I thought he looked like an archer. What, like, what a, <laughs> he what, just came from archery practice. Just 100%. I just want to do something that distinguishes myself. Uh, so, yeah, very strange, but I don't know. Uh, just said it was a Nimoy choice, right? And the director right. said, "Okay." So it is strange. <laughs> exactly. So then it's a big sleepover over at uh, Donald Sutherland's house. So that's fun. Oh, you know, do you notice that in the background a lot of times you'll see that famous building in San Francisco, the pointy, very pointy yeah. building. Oh yeah, yeah. Just you know, they were one of the companies that was funding this movie was in that building. Like this, this movie wouldn't have happened without like the. I don't think the movie company itself was in that building, but it had something to do with the production of this movie, the some parent company. So the director did that on purpose because it was like the owners were over overlooking the movie through the. Ah, yeah. gotcha. Interesting. Yes. See, and we have a lot of debates. I think the one thing I would do with this film is maybe cut down just a little bit the debates that Nimoy is there for. Yeah. It's just because it's, it's supposed to be infuriating to have him there, but I think I get it just a little bit. It's very much like Ian Holm in Alien, where you're like, what is wrong with this guy? Why does he listen to anything? You know, and then, of course, he turns out also not to be, like, right, you know, right, to be right. secretly on the other side. Right. But once again, I think, like, in both cases, you could just get a tiny bit less of it. Yeah. And it would still be... Because I have just notes of, like, you know, they try to figure it out, and he's like, listen to yourselves. Because yeah, there's nothing, like, if you watch a lot of genre film, there's nothing more irritating than the guy who just refuses to admit the right. existence of that genre in his world. <laughs> <laughs> zombies? What do you mean, zombies? These people are obviously have a cold. <laughs> so it gets to be morning, and they have yet another debate. My favorite one is where Veronica Cartwright just goes full on, okay, I figured this whole thing out, you know, like, <laughs> And you know, laid out for you. And the, the whole thing, and she's, and it's caused by the flowers. And somebody's like, it's a space flower. She's like, why not a space flower? Why does everybody expect metal ships? Yeah. And I can't remember who says it, but who's like, I never expected metal ships. <laughs> but yeah, she's the she's really the conspiracy nut. 
because she had earlier established that she reads all these crazy books. And of course, she's the one who's right. Just and very similar to her role in Alien, where she's the one who's like, "Yeah, let's get the fuck out of here! Like, what are you kidding me? Like, why are we here? Let's go!" And she's kind of the the chicken, but the realistic chicken. If they had listened yeah, to exactly. the, if they had listened to the chicken, they would all be alive. And she's you know, she's the chicken little. Yeah. So. And her thing about space—it's like when spacemen had sex with monkeys and the birds. Right? Yeah, I forgot about that. Which is. On its face, ridiculous, like a lot of stuff. But on the other hand, if you think about like her whole thing about the gref that the plants yeah. are, and about what they say later about you know you're you're mutating yeah, into something yeah. greater, that is what they're saying is this thing isn't purely the aliens that came down, and it's not purely humans; it's a new thing. Right. So this is just the next stage in it. And again, her frantic delivery of this stuff is great. You know, she's just, oh yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. So good. Yeah. One other slightly disappointing thing about these characters is they cannot spot pod people just by talking to them. <laughs> Unless it's somebody they know really well. So either the direction of the pod people was too unsubtle or these people are just a little too <laughs> thick or something like that. Too that, like, wrapped up in their own drama. To notice but there's the several times like when them. she's fighting with her boss at the lab and it's like, give it up. <laughs> he literally does not want you to do these tests because right. he's an alien. I can tell <laughs> in a second. <laughs> to test the flower, yeah. Exactly. So we have sequence of Sutherland trying to get help or trying to get, you know, authorities interested in, you know, so you get like a, a brilliant diagram of what bureaucratic runaround feels like. And yeah. he just, once again, you know, he's just so pompous. He just doesn't believe that no one's going to listen to him, that he's not going to just bust through. Yeah. So then it gets to be night again after a full day spent doing that. Like, it's amazing <laughs> the amount of time that passes in this compared to the, like the other ones right. usually yeah. take place over like a couple days. Yeah. And this one, there's plenty of time for the aliens to take hold. Which, once again, I guess is supposed to be a little bit infuriating. Yeah. And Goldblum can't find any radio stations, which I find interesting. Yeah. You know, I guess it's because it's sort of takeover night. So they're like, okay, we're just like clamping down on everything. And then we'll explain later. I think, well, they established in the 50s version that the aliens don't understand music like they don't perform music which is why at the end of at the end of that one they hear the singing and he goes running to find out that it's just a radio and not the people singing and that it's the pod people doing things yeah right. and then you get that a little bit at the end of this movie too oh yeah talking. yeah but it's like they don't understand the purpose of music and right. art so there's no purpose for these radio stations to exist right right and Kibner gives, yeah. gives her an actual shot. You know, or, no, like, yeah. this. And then, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, tomorrow should be good as new. You guys can sleep. And okay. we've already gotten the definite on him because he said yeah. at some point to, like, you know, his car full of people, including, right. I think, the husband, yeah. like, all, you know, as soon as possible. Right, right, time. right. Yes, yes. Yes, some various obvious. <laughs> He's part of the conspiracy. And then Sutherland goes down to his garden, which right. seems like it's very important to him because we saw him doing some great wok cooking earlier, yeah. <laughs> which I sort of assume the point of that is probably he just doesn't trust the entire food industry, so he just grows <laughs> right. his own Cooks food his own. as much yeah. as possible. Yeah. <laughs> yes, when you're the he, health inspector, just... you, do, you cook your own food. <laughs> You've seen too many things, yeah. <laughs> Which, if anything, how far is it? They, what is it? Like in Manhattan Island, you're never more than five feet from a rat or something? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like yeah, like yeah, in God, San Francisco. God, yes. yeah. In San Francisco, it's probably even closer. <laughs> yeah. 
Then things start growing in the garden. He's like, he falls really... asleep, right? Yeah, he, he falls, falls asleep in the garden, chase. and like big nasty fleshy flowers grow out of these pods that he did not notice. <laughs> I know. He, yeah, he did not notice these big. I think that it's like they never drew the connection of the pods. Although Brooke Adams should have, because she saw them carrying them around. It's really odd because he's the only one outside, but three pods are out there. They're like three <laughs> bodies in the garden, so I don't know if they. It could be that they grow, like the ones that the we're probably inside. going to talk about next week, like the one that grows like on top of the yeah. top ceiling in Body Snatchers. It could be they were much smaller until he fell asleep and then they started growing yeah, fast quickly. Or it's kind of like, like... have any connection to the real person. <laughs> yeah. Again, yeah. it's a little like Alien where the thing evolves a little too quickly. You know, it doesn't quite make sense how quickly yeah. it grows. But... Yeah. And in Body Snatchers, this is where we can start talking about the mechanics a little bit. Because in Body yeah. Snatchers, they take it a little... Because here it seems like one of those tendrils sort of like touches you and then that kind of... It like reads you, basically. It develops some sort yeah. of ephemeral connection. And then the pod can just grow and become you as long as you stay asleep the whole time. You yeah. don't need... Whereas in Body Snatchers, it actually needs to keep the connection to you because right, it's actually right, like right. sucking your juices out of you. Yeah. So these are pretty, again, pretty good practical effects for 78. Kind of oh, yeah. thing-like. Yeah. I mean, the, those flowers are so disturbing. And then the versions of them that come out are really nice. Yeah. Especially him. Yeah. Like something about the fact that it's got his hair and yes. stuff like that. Just like makes it really... Hair and mustache. It's groomed, <laughs> it's groomed identically. Yeah, exactly. Which is interesting. It's funny because they play off of sort of like earlier versions of the story, like way back in the book party. Because she's like, he cut his hair, even though he always has a scar on his neck. And when yeah. I looked, Brooke, Brooke Adams is like, it wasn't there. She's like, no, oh, it was it's there. Still there. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not going to be that easy. <laughs> yeah, and then luckily Veronica Cartwright doesn't go right, to sleep. Right. So she comes down and saves him. Or. Maybe she did go to sleep, but I will return to that later. <laughs> yeah, and so they managed to get out of there just as the, now the full-on everybody's out to get you has started. We have that moment where he's going to destroy the pod bodies. Yeah, yeah. And, and he can't kill her, and then he can't kill... Well, he, he, can, he can't right? kill her, but he does kill himself. Yeah, he does it to two bodies he can't kill, and then he winds up killing himself right right and when which in a in a way is kind of selfish but yeah. in a way, like if you think about it and the but. smashing in of the head of one of them it's a real very dramatic smashing in of the face apparently yeah. is one of stephen king's favorite violent scenes in a movie he, oh really yeah, he, oh, lo great. he loves that he said that he, he thinks that's one of the most shocking decapitation scenes ever done it does it also mirror the 50s um, version where he, mm. they have the pod people outside and it's all four of them and he goes to smash them and he can't smash her and he smashes mm. himself gotcha. as well. And that's got to be kind of liberating as a, a practical effects person that it doesn't have to react to a shovel like yes, the way a the human way does. Human body yeah. Would. yeah, exactly. That that's It's actually better if it doesn't. That, that means that you can just make it whatever you want it to be. So then they run, they hide under these stairs, which that's possibly my favorite shot in the whole thing. Is like because the, they're chased. They're being yeah, chased. Yeah, they, they're by being people. chased and they're hiding under the stairs. And one by one, you see their faces looking out through right, the stairs. Yeah, yeah. So and, that was a nice shot. And yeah. they're all so distinct, yeah. of the four of them, in their expression and everything. Yeah. That's beautiful. And then actually, the, here we start getting into what I would call the showy, but still really, really good camera work part of the movie. Because, you know, as they're running to Pier 33, yeah. you, you've got this canted shot of them. You can see their shadows more it, than you can see them. Are they trying to catch a boat? Is that why they're I going think they're there? Because I, I don't think he thinks boats until he says boat. Ships. Yeah. They're just running because that's the direction they're being kind of herded in. Because they could have gotten in a car at the house where all the cars were, but instead they started running. I don't know. the house. The, the, it seems like the, the aliens are all over the street, and they're sort of going through the alleys and stuff like that. So I don't think that they can do that. And then you see them in silhouette running towards the mm -hmm. camera, which is kind of like the poster shot. 
And that poster shot, for some reason, even though it's so famous, is not used in my DVD or any other version of the DVD I can find, which is weird. You know, the the seed is planted, terror grows shot. Instead, it's just this piece of art that has nothing to do with the actual movie. It's very odd. Did we get to the cab ride scene yet? Because I just want to say something about that. Oh, that's in there. Yeah, there's definitely stuff to say about that. Okay. No, because they're still together at this point. So they... uh, Four, at one yeah. point, like, yeah, the helicopter comes after them, and then they're, it seems like they're going to get caught, and then Jeff Goldblum is like, okay, I'll run off and get help. Yeah. And then Veronica Cartwright goes off with him, you know, and everybody chases them. Right. So at that point, now we're down to just the two of them. And then we have that wonderful scene of just their feet, as they're walking, yeah. and they're sort of yeah. brushing past people, yeah. and then, like, slowly they've just brushed past too many people, and then suddenly the ones who are walking the other way meet other ones, and then they all start walking <sighs> after them. And... Well, they pass by a... Um girly place yeah at that yeah, point they do yeah. that and, and the guy's like trying to get him to come in yeah so i wonder if he's one of them who wants to bring them in to put them to sleep or if he's still because he's so active and you know yeah. full of life that he seems normal it's sort of interesting yeah it it's does weird. seem I like think... that part of the city has not been taken over by pie people and it could be the adult, enter- is, yeah. Yeah, the adult entertainment industry which was pretty big in san francisco at this time i believe was yeah. low on their list of takeover uh-huh. takeover targets with the uh <laughs> But it could also, much as with Kibner, be a thing where it's this is another person who's offering you a quick fix of yeah. like go in here that's and I, like we're just going to do this thing for you and it's going to make you into a new right, person. Right, that's what I'm wondering. Yeah. So since he's working sort of parallel with the aliens, it's hard to tell whether he's part mm-hmm. of the aliens or not, and perhaps ultimately it doesn't matter. <laughs> yes. We just need Gabrielle Anwar from But Nights and Body Snatches <laughs> to do a little bit of beat poetry. About right. That. Really, we're we really different from the aliens at all at that point. Yeah, but it's at that point that they then get the cab. Right. And uh, driven by... The director of the original. Yeah. Yeah. Yay. That's beautiful. And he apparently was a terrible driver, and they were very frightened while they were being... Oh, yeah, yeah, I did read that. Yeah, yeah, their looks of terror on their faces were unfeigned. Because, yeah, he apparently wore glasses, but he decided not to wear them for this part, so he was just driving. (laughs) (laughs) Which is funny, because the biggest car accident that happened in any of these movies happened in The Invasion, where Nicole Kidman got severely injured, but she was actually being towed. So she wasn't even, you know, doing her own driving, but just one that's car where, involved in production that's in where all car. The, That's where the Transformers accident that, that happened here. The, oh, really? The car gotcha. was being towed. It was an extra car, and she was on a trailer, and they were towing it, and she died. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. oh wow. It's, like, worse when they're towing the cars than when someone's actually driving it. Huh. Yeah. And so Siegel seems to drive them to the place you're supposed to drive, you know, after some interesting back and forth, just about them trying yeah. to be vague and him trying not to pry too hard and back and forth. Like, he seems to drive them to the place that you're just supposed to drive people, take people so that they can be, like, grabbed. They figure that out just in time, because there's the wonderful, like, he talks to the other pod person and they both look back yeah, and the yeah. just swinging. Right, he calls them in when he gets in the cab. That feels like a very 1940s sort of move. Like, you know, that sort of, like, camera here, camera back, and just swinging door, you know. Well, but, it's... Also amazing that like they they've encountered all of these co- pod people everywhere they go and they just jump into this cab and it doesn't occur to them that the cab driver could be a pod person. I think they're kind of desperate at that point. Yeah, I, mean, I think I, they're aware of the possibility, but they're like, let's just hope that this works. That's why they're saying, you know, we're just meeting somebody there, and you know, yeah, that, like we're not trying to get away. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's not a big priority to stop us from doing this. You're running oh yeah, then they run across the guitarist and the guitarist and his uh, dog, dog are sleeping, sleeping. Yeah. and the, yeah. the pod is there and Donald Sutherland kicks the pod <laughs> which might be have a result we see later, we're not yeah. really sure. And they're sleeping <laughs> very close together. Let's also yeah, exactly. yeah. Very close together. They, uh, 
get back to their offices, I guess, because it's sort of the, the only location we've used that they can get back to, <laughs> to safely at this point. They hang there for quite a while, but eventually... The janitor is there. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah that's right. Cinematographer. Yeah, yeah with his, that floor-cleaning machine yep. thing. Yeah. Yep. And then eventually, uh, body snatchers show up, including Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> who is still showing quite a bit of the Jeff Goldblum, per- I mean, like a muted version of the Jeff Goldblum personality. Like he has quite an attitude for the little pod people. He doesn't seem to have gotten a whole lot of serenity out of like, the transformation. And Sutherland is still like, even though Nimoy is obviously an alien, Sutherland is still talking to him as if he can be reasoned with. <laughs> He's like, no, no, don't do that. Then she'll turn into one of them. It's like, you, you, don't, you just don't get this whole odd person thing, do you? And uh, we get the most detailed description of what they're all about, like from one of the pod people in this. We left a dying world. Oh, yeah. We adapt, we survive. The function of life is survival. So that's interesting. we got to figure out how to do that. <laughs> oh, leave a dying world? Why are we yeah, not working on this? Uh, you know, perhaps we are. But I was uh, just about to say, they've ruined their own planet and they're taking off for the next one. Yeah, which exactly. Which we probably plan to that's eventually. What I would say, that's what I mean. <laughs> That's the one moment from the invasion, which you have not recorded yet, uh, that struck out to me was at the end of that movie when they're like, the humans win. Oh, yeah. Whether or not that's for the good, you know. Yeah, exactly. Jeffrey Wright is like, look at the newspaper. We're human again. (laughs) For good or better. Yeah, for better or worse. Yeah. No, I've often thought of that. Would aliens just look at our planet and say, should we put them out of their misery? Like, Like, should we go nowhere near there? Well, you've got Michael Fassbender in Alien Covenant, which I feel no guilt at all about spoiling at this point. Basically just deciding, he basically takes over this colony ship and he's like, no, you're not spreading your disease throughout the universe. Like, you know, you're going to be feed, you know, food for my latest experiment, and that's it. You don't deserve to, like, yeah. go out and ruin another planet. <laughs> so, but they managed to turn the tables, because uh, Don Sutherland was smart enough to palm a dart. Right, earlier. <laughs> yep. Your anti-alien weapon. So he uses it to kill Jeff Goldblum, and then they put Nimoy in the freezer. <laughs> And then uh, go out and run right into Veronica Cartwright. He's like, I can't find Jeff Goldblum. And well, like, and they have a li- really nice long pause where you're stare, like, is she yeah. changed? Is she changed? Is she changed? Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. The, yeah. the look, which there's one very much like that in Body Snatchers yeah. that goes the other way. Yeah. And then it's like, no, it's her still. But they're like, yeah, Jeff Goldblum's off with a nice farm family. Yes. <laughs> yeah. They just keep avoiding her, like, answering her question about, like, we're going to go find him now, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, we haven't seen him. Oh, and look out here. The aliens are going on buses. <laughs> and, like, the aliens are all lined up and being sent places. And uh, Veronica said... I predict that uh, in the next episode, we will n- I will not be able to remember who says the we will watch over each other line, and then it turns out it's Veronica Cartwright. Yeah. <laughs> and they go outside, and one of the aliens like run, shouts at them, like, the line's over there! Yeah. Which is a wonderful. I, I love that these aliens have such individual character. Or, Im- or imitating. They're imitating, you know, what they were or something like that. Yeah, or, but, but I mean, he's talking, he thinks he's an alien talking to other aliens, so like, so A, either he just likes to shout at people, or B, they're not so intuitive that they know exactly what to do what at any given moment. Doing. Yeah, and the, everything seems to be going pretty well until we see the man dog. Man dog! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. When I saw this as a child, I thought I would never fall asleep yep, again. Yep, this, <laughs> this and, you know, the mer- the 
dog bear blowjob scene in The Shining. Those are the two. Yeah. Those are the two like <laughs> I- I- memories of childhood that just will never. You know, they just when you're you're a kid and you see that stuff, it's just oh my god. And they don't come up with those nowadays. The, the that was no. again. Oh, we love the seventies. So when I was eight or whatever I was when I first saw this, I think I think I thought that just happened. And then later I thought that it was something the aliens did on purpose. Just run, run, run go up and down the line and whoever <laughs> screams is not one of us yet. Uh, and by the but way, but now I suppose it's that he like kicked that pod, and so the pod yeah, like, you know, yeah. came up with a like, sort of like broken, mashed up version of the two of them. And the, the banjo, <laughs> I love that they play the banjo music because it gives you this like, all right, I know exactly what this is. But um, that banjo music is Jerry Garcia playing, by the way. Oh, is it yeah, really? Oh, Jerry fun. Garcia. He was friends with somebody, maybe Donald Sutherland. I forget, but he was friends with no, he was friends with the sound person or something like that. And uh, so that's that. But um, that's a mask on a dog. And they were oh, they were so that's a mask on a dog, and they were so lucky that dog decided to lick its chops. That was just oh my god, that's the actual oh my god. I thought that was like stop motion or that something. That was one hundred percent real. Oh my god, that's amazing! Isn't it amazing? It's just amazing. Wow, and I'd never heard that guitar music before because until I saw it last night, just to take my notes. Because every single time I'd seen it before, somebody screamed over the place <laughs> where the guitar music was, <laughs> and so I never was even aware that it was there. So they run away from that. They lose a Veronica Cartwright. They hop on a truck that takes them right over to Pod Central. Right. <laughs> where they're hot housing these things. Which I guess maybe if you have the if you start with the big pod, then it doesn't take as long to turn into a thing as if you start with just like the flower yeah. or something like that. I don't know. Like maybe it took like a full eight hours to turn her husband into a pod person, but with the pod already made, it'll just take a few minutes or something. I don't know. I try I try to make sense of it. <laughs> Because it seems like having those great now, big pods yeah. is like a huge disadvantage because that, you know, in 56, that in the studio at first ending is how the whole thing fell apart. Right, cause right. Because like, like if somebody's saying there are pods everywhere and then suddenly you find a truck full of pods, like people are going to be a lot more likely to listen to yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, and then they, they decide to get away from that. And then uh, we see uh, stuff being put on their truck with a forklift. So these aliens are better at forklift Yes, they're much better the, forklifting. Than the body snatcher aliens <laughs> are, yeah. They're getting away, going downstairs, and Brooke Adams turns her ankle. Right, so, like, of course. The high heel heeled shoe is the, the foe of uh, horror all heroines horror everywhere. Movies, yeah. <laughs> I, as a woman, couldn't understand why she did all the previous scenes running around in those high heels. I would have shed them hours <laughs> Absolutely. ago. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. You hold them. You hold them in one hand. Yeah. It's like strappy. You know, you just strap them around. Exactly. I mean, even so, I mean, even it's a little early for women in athletic shoes, but it's San Francisco. You know, I'm sure there's some place you could get some. Well, in stuff. the invasion, <laughs> Nicole Kidman is also running around in high heels. Oh, yeah, and I'm true. like, come on. Yeah. Come I think on. That her character is just showing off. She's like, <laughs> she's like, I can do this. She does eventually <laughs> take them off and run in her bare feet. So I appreciate that, but. Have you seen the ground? It's gross. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we hear Amazing Grace play. So obviously that means that everything's going to be good. Then he goes I, to check I was it just out. thinking about the uh, the lyrics to it at one point. The part that they're playing is uh, once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. So that, which could be interpreted in various ways that work with that. A, they're trying not to be found. Right. You know, or they could be lost, you know, in the sort of 70s malaise sort of way was blind but now I see it would be much more obviously well either you know now I can see that the aliens are here or soon I can see that the alien way is the good way but he's like ships <laughs> we're in San Francisco there's ships here we can go somewhere and so he uh, tells her be right back yeah 
Classic. Yeah. Classic from the be first right movie, back. Yeah. Straight out of screen. And yeah. uh, although that usually means the person who says it's going to die, but. But they, not they, in these movies, because it's what happened in the first one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're in the cave, and he's like, you stay here. I'll go check it out. I'll be right back. Because she, she was too injured and tired to run as well. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, then he goes off, sees that they're just loading big pallets, right. like those old-fashioned pallets of uh, pods onto things. These days, it would be like container truck. Things. And again, right. notice yeah. there's green, green lights everywhere. We've got more green on the ship. Oh, green yeah. Green the ship. It comes back to her. She's falling asleep, and he's like, instantly aware. It's like, oh, no, 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 yeah. no, no. And then we get the deflation. Which yeah. I actually remember. Well, he's like hugging her. Too. Yeah, and there's a like, yeah. I watched it very closely this time, and so you get they they stick with her and doing stuff to her face for as long yeah. as they can. They do like a lot of different stuff, and then you just get the deflation, which happens as fast as possible. <laughs> which I think my mem- my childhood memory of it was actually a lot creepier than what we actually get to yeah, see. I, but they, you know, they do what they can. I don't remember for some reason. I don't remember that. I I, I was that surprised me this last time I saw it. I don't know why. Oh, I, gotcha. I, I don't remember that. But it's again well done and. Um, uh, yeah, I remembered her like turning to like powder or something like yeah. something that would be more likely to la- to end up as one of those dust bunnies. But it still it still works. <laughs> and like, yeah, if you like this effect, you're going to get to see it two hundred more times. <laughs> so many times, <laughs> all different stages of it. It's like a museum. So that's not so good. And then instantly, Nikki Brooke is, Adams right. walks in. It's painless. It's good. Join me. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And he. Uh, decides that, you know, I'm going to burn them down with light bulbs. Right. <laughs> Very highly flammable light bulbs. That happened to be just swing- hanging on a rope. Each, <laughs> rope. each yeah. line hanging on a rope that he has access to the end of. I mean, it's just really it's like, strange. This conveniently I... placed axe that I yes. yeah. yeah. I wonder if these, what these could be is lights that were made in order for people to hire a hothouse pot or something yeah. like that. You know, grow it, yeah. have a, their basement pot thing. And so they were... There were probably fires resulting from that, so they're like, you're playing on that. But yeah, the fire spread, it seems a little too... It's not so much that I couldn't imagine a fire resulting from what he did, but his confidence that that's what's going to happen seems very strange. And then it happened every time. Like, it seems like not every time you cut one of those strings of lights down that they immediately cause a fire, but... But I guess, Every single one. But it seems like he goes up there, just he's going to unleash mayhem. He doesn't know yeah. what. Because he actually passes the axe and then comes all the way back around yeah. to get it. He's like, okay, I guess I can't think of anything better than using this axe. Oh, wow, that actually worked out pretty well. <laughs> Let's see. And you get a scream. Oh, we got the scream earlier, too. We get it from um, Naked Brooke Adams here. Yeah. I think we got it, you Maybe, know, like women I like. We got it during the, the chase scene, the initial chase scene. Yeah, there was yeah. Some you, you, you get your, like, nosy neighbor yeah. from the second story window doing the scream. Which, it's interesting. I hadn't noticed uh, or until this last time that they sort of code it so that you only expect women to do the scream. Yeah. Because well, you've only ever that, seen yeah. women do the scream. You never see, like, Nimoy never does the scream. Goldblum never true. does the scream. The husband never does the yeah. scream. So, obviously, if you were to see a man do the scream, it might be extra surprising. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they chase him off into the night. He seems to get a series of lucky breaks. Then he's hiding under a pier, and then you know they're looking around with a flashlight, and one of them's like, "We'll get him," which I find <laughs> also interesting. Which means like, do they have some sort of sense of morale that like they have to like encourage one another? <laughs> <laughs> so he's sort of be, it's almost like an I am legend moment. Like he's like the monster to the he's the monster to them now, and they're trying to like find him so that he stops killing their babies. Yeah, and he's just completely trapped, and the guy looks down with his flashlight and cut nice sharp cut yeah exactly yeah. 
cut to him going to work in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> and he seems so frazzled, too. So it's it's so believable that he's still on the loose. I mean, maybe not that he'd still be awake after all this time. Right. Like, But I guess they did take a lot of those amphetamines, like, back in the... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah, that's kind of. How many are you supposed to take? One, take, take five. five. Yeah. yeah, that's the one thing through this whole movie is you're like, oh, come on, someone's got to sleep. You know, you got to sleep. I mean, it just doesn't. So, and the, I do like the Nemoya says, like, well, this is a mild sedative. You yeah. know, when he injects them with, and they're like, yeah, that's not going to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> We're still awake. <laughs> you know, a little. Uh... Valium or something is not yeah. going to even make an impression of me on right now. I am high on goofball. Oh, and he's, he's watching them herd a bunch of children into a hotel, and they're all oh, oh yeah. yeah, they're all about the to go. To, bus. They're like, we're just going to take a nap now, and they're like, they're they're herding them in to take a nap. Which is funny. That should be horrifying. I think. I think it was horrifying the very first time I saw it, but now this time I was like, they seem a little bratty. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they could use some pod personality. Like, like, take your nap for goodness sakes. And then you're... It- and yeah, he goes to the office where everybody is sort of standing there doing nothing. Yes. You know, except like yeah. looking at their little like beakers. <laughs> and then he starts clipping something from yep. the newspaper, yep. which I love. That's just either such an ingrained behavior or he's still interested in it or something. Yeah. But yeah, it gives you it gives you the feeling that he has to be still normal because why would yeah. a pod person be interested in something in the newspapers? Although it's almost too, you could almost double bluff it because the fact that he's doing that almost means he is a pod person because if he wasn't doing that, he would consider it too much of a him thing to do to do it. <laughs> right. you know? But it looks like a Grace Papaya ad on the on the back too, by the way. Oh really? Oh, wonderful. It's very. I don't know. Well, maybe they, I don't know if they had them in New York in uh, San Francisco, <laughs> but it's a New York thing, so. Right. And then everybody just starts leaving and he sort of just follows them out. Right. Which once again, that could just be the, yeah, that's how the aliens work. It's like, what? Everybody's doing something? Okay, I'll do something too. Right. Unless there's like some signal like out of human hearing range they can hear or something like that. And yeah, he goes out there and then you hear uh, Veronica Cartwright say his name and turns around and supposedly, I guess she was told what she was supposed to say and that she was supposed to walk up to him and he was going to whisper something at her or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's supposed to be happy. They told her it would be a happy ending, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, what we're seeing is her like direct uh, reaction to not know, to that not knowing it was going to happen. Which again is what they did in Alien, you know, when the uh, burster... Oh, right, right. ...tell them. You know, it's, it's sort of a... And back in the 70s, these directors would just... Uh, Blast a gun next to your head to get a startle. Yeah, get a yeah, because they didn't trust actors yeah. to act. Yeah, they didn't trust basically. actors to act, so they just uh, tricked them all the time. <laughs> so it's and uh, then yeah, you get that wonderful shot of him just like you know his head thrown back and his arm forward and pointing finger and then, ah! and it does mirror the shot of him in the mm-hmm. uh, spy hole the very first time that you see yeah. him at the beginning of the movie. And it's terrifying. Yeah, it was also later reused in the slightly terrible movie Disclosure with uh, <laughs> Michael Douglas and. Uh, Oh, uh, highest paid actress at the time. Uh, anyway. Demi Moore? Demi Moore. Yeah. Right, exactly. Where Michael Douglas is having, like, he's been sexually harassed by Demi Moore, and yeah. then he has a, a nightmare about it, but in the nightmare, she's been replaced by Donald Sutherland. And then oh. Donald Sutherland comes in for a kiss, and it's, like, the exact same shot of his, like, mouth wide open. And like, ah. I forgot that. And that's 90s Donald Sutherland, too, uh. even craggier. I need to rewatch that one. Selectively, rewatch it with like your finger on the fast forward. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely stuff worth watching and stuff not worth watching. Yeah. And then we are in silent credits, like just completely silent credits, yeah. which is very classy. So that was a pretty good movie. I mean, yeah. the uh, it was as scary as I remembered it being, and a lot funnier, I think, than I remembered yeah. it being, which is a nice balance. 
Yeah, I loved it. And, you know, that was always one of my favorites. And uh, again, I don't know, why can't we duplicate this kind of feel that, you know, this ultra realistic feel from the 70s? I don't know why mm. we seem to be missing that. But also maybe something about the colors. You know, now we're so into color tinting these movies mm -hmm. and adjusting everything in this unrealistic way. And there's just something about that fresh 70s, very realistic. Uh, and the acting style, too. Again, just just so good. And the people who like want to do that, you know, and are willing to take the time to do that, I think are in like such the indie end of cinema that they have to do everything in digital video. Yeah. And so it's just never going to quite have that look, you know, even with the best of intentions, they can never quite get that look back. Yeah. Because there are a couple of indie body snatcher movies that I like, you know, that I really like that they let things stretch out. They do like big compositions mm -hmm. and stuff like that, but just they still can't quite get that look. Yeah. So how much um, of an influence was this on you? It was, it was an influence on the, uh, as I'll be talking about in a couple of weeks, the one that was most influential on me was actually The Invasion, which is crazy. Oh, but, interesting. Know. Yeah, that's the only one. Well, here's one thing. So I've got my little list of things that are immunities like or immunities unlike in here. And one that I didn't really think of until almost right before we started recording is, is this the first one in which somebody is immune? Because... Veronica Cartwright has oh, yeah. to be immune, right. doesn't right. she? I mean, has it's a... to be. How did she not fall asleep? Exactly. How could she yeah. possibly not it's have fallen asleep? She days. wasn't even there for the amphetamines. She she yeah. she must have just and so possibly she actually fell asleep earlier, even like yeah. when the pods were taking over. Just something notified her that oh, there's aliens trying to take you over. Wake up! And so she woke up and stopped them. And then if you think of in the invasion, Veronica Cartwright's character is the first immune person that you run across. Yeah. Because in, yeah, in the invasion, yeah. immunity is much more of a thing, but she's the first one. So that, maybe that's because somebody had a pet theory that or, that she was always immune. Huh. So yeah, that's it. I mean, the, the you know the whole spookiness of it and the creepiness of it and the inevitability and in dealing yeah. with that was definitely an influence on me. And I mean, I also, especially in my first season, I really tried to marry comedy and horror. Yeah. And then people like just walked away like remembering the horror, which I think is basically what happens with this movie too. Yeah. I think they're trying to be funny. But they nobody remember that. Even yeah. if people laugh while the movie's going on, once the movie's over, they just remember how scared they were. Yeah. So Yeah. But the comedy can still have its function then, because it's basically there to loosen you up so that you can clench again. Right. Right. It's a contrast, yeah. yeah. Which is why it gets a little lost, I think. Right. Let's see, the aliens in this, they're uh, fairly pacifistic, which is one thing that definitely was part of my uh, my vision. They don't want to hurt you, and they don't see pod personing you as hurting you, even yeah. though it causes your body to deflate and turn into a disbody. <laughs> and so that sort of gives the immunities plot room to, to breathe, because the idea, like, if there were immune people, what would they, they would be just be at an impasse with them, because right. they would be going against their own philosophy to actually hurt them in, or anything except in self-defense. And so as far as pacifistic, these are the second most pacifistic of the uh, Body Snatcher aliens, I think, after the Body Snatchers ones. It's Kevin McCarthy's death seems to be the only violent thing they do. In and this one, yeah. And it's assuming that that's what it was, that he didn't just run in front of another car and just get right, hit. Right, right. Yeah. But I could, I could believe either way on that. So that was a thing. So we do see the aliens in this, unlike the ones in most of the others, seem to be interested in education and entertainment of themselves. Because the Russian guy, he's not, it seems like he's not just pretending to read the book. He seems like he's actually reading the book and he actually tried to talk to her about it. Oh, and right. it seems yeah, like he's yeah. already taken over. So it shows that they have some sort of interest in something. Yeah. And then there's the craziness of the husband watching the clock channel. Yes. Which we only yes. see that for a second. Yes. 
And once again, it could be like a Dawn of the Dead style, or they just continue to the, do the rote things that the previous person did. But I, 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 it seems like they're intelligent enough that they wouldn't just do that. They, you know, like, but he's not watching sports. Right. It, yeah, he's watching sports. TV, but the clock channel instead of the what we would find engaging. Yeah, and Sutherland does continue to clip clippings for yeah. whatever reason. You know, he does still find that interesting on some level. So, well, uh, yeah, the director had said in the commentary that the clock imagery was to you know sort of reflect that was the analogy to to you know how we're all a bunch of zombies watching tv and so these people are even Mm. you know Mm -hmm. just need nothing to watch so yeah so i wonder about that book that he was reading i don't know anything about that book that he was reading in the bathtub but is it junk kind of book it looks like a pulp novel yeah because it's the paperback and the size of it yeah i meant to look up both what he says and then what she talks about because i just assumed that whatever she's talking about would feed into her ancient astronauts right so she's reading all these crazy junky you know junky conspiracy theories silly things and uh, yeah so it kind of fits into that let's see i already sort of talked about the the pod mechanics and how they're a little different in this than mm-hmm. they are in some, and that it doesn't seem to require continuous physical contact, right, right. just that brief physical contact, and then you're marked, which that's kind of what happens in immunities. The look transfers to right. you, and then you're marked. And usually you fall asleep right away, but in some cases you don't. But the next time you sleep, it will catch up with you. Yeah. Well, of course, so, it's uh, impossible not to think about Bird Box when I think about immunities. The, the, the look, you know, looking at... Uh, that was sort of oh i haven't seen yeah. bird box oh well that is you need to see that i mean that's that that's the concept there they yeah it's it's, it's sort of a you see the alien and that changes you mm. um which i think there somebody else had you know it's been that concept has because it's knocked around a bit but it is a really great spooky i mean i love that concept that it's a, a look I mean, just because you can't there's nothing you can do about that Right, uh, oh, and it's just—it's okay, cool. just spooky, very spooky <laughs> idea. This mechanism, by the way, about how you're marked and then you're going to get taken over one way or another, is something to keep in mind when you listen next week to Bobby Snatchers and my whole crazy theory about the dad <laughs> and whether he was actually an alien or not. So <laughs> just bookmark that in your mind, <laughs> because if he was marked, okay, <laughs> he didn't necessarily have to have been taken over. And I've already talked about how there seems to be some sort of an organizational structure amongst the pod people. They're not just all equal cells right, right, in a body. Yeah. They're, they're, they're like some of them are sort of bossing other ones around or at least give, delivering information. And you've That's... got that scene with Kibner and the husband, you know, where the husband is really seems not to quite understand what's going yeah, on. Yeah, you know, that, that's consistent through at least the first three body snatchers. I can't remember in the last one, but they mm. have all the scenes where there's a authority figure telling other people where mm. to deliver the pods. You have it oh, in the yeah, town right. square in the 50s version, and then Body Snatchers, you have the head of the base, who then later is mm. telling people, you go to this fort, you go to this fort. Oh, yeah, fort. that's true. They just keep yeah. the, the ranks that they had. Yeah. Which is actually a little bit like the aliens in uh, Immunities. Yeah. That's what yeah. it's called. <laughs> uh, kind of do that, too. The governor of the state is yeah, the person who's still, still in charge of yeah. the state. And Justin slash Man One, your your beloved husband, Man One, who got a name. <laughs> Someday you'll get a name. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> but because he was in the FBI, he was briefly their yeah. leader until yeah. they got somebody who was higher ranked in the human hierarchy. Right, right. Just followed that. Yeah, the fifty one. That'll be an interesting conversation to have. So, uh, but then you've already, already had you, you at home have already heard it, but I haven't actually had it yet. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and then was Veronica Cartwright immune was my last note on that. Do either of you guys have any uh, comments about the comparison of uh, the movie and immunities beyond what I've said? Just, 
I like that your version is very female oriented. I mean, this isn't really a comparison. It's just what I like about the modernization of this concept. I guess I didn't see the Nicole Kidman version, so I don't know. But, uh, you know, it's also very male oriented. There you go. It's her and everyone else. Yeah. So I like that yours is very female heavy and it just um, it gives it a contrast to these other ones. And I like the family, the fact that you based this on a you know, close up of a family where one person's different than the others, just really, I love the microscope into this concept. And again, you can only really do that in a pot series podcast, you know, where it's like nice and stretched out like this or to any mm-hmm. kind of series. You, know, you couldn't really do that in a movie as much, like really examine the nuances and all that stuff. So, Well, I guess in that sense, it has a little bit in common with body snatchers in that you have this the sense of teenage um, isolationalism and how you're different than the family unit around you both immunities and body snatchers play with that that idea right and body snatchers more than most yeah. sort of focuses away from the actual takeover yeah, yeah, of society yeah. you know they're just like we're just gonna deal with these characters and then i took that yeah. to a, a greater extent which is just to take the part of the story that interested me and just Okay, there was a takeover, like that happened. It happened the way that you would expect it yeah. to happen. Like, yeah, I even it's a reused the story. Uh, yeah. You know, I have Carrie Cray saying, My husband is not my husband. You know, yeah. it's like, so obviously it happened like that. Yeah. I originally had stuff where Roxanne was even more dismissive of that. She's like, All the usual body snatcher stuff happened. And I was like, Decide, okay, that's a little too pomo. Like, you wouldn't be that detached from yeah. it. You know, but. Yeah, there's a, a movie called Alien Raiders that if I do this again, I'm going to do some, like, not. An, ex- in this series, but right. other body snatcher movies, and yeah. there's one I really like, and which basically is this story. It's just the okay. We've reached the point. We, we found out that there's like a queen body snatcher, and if we get her, we can get rid of it, get rid of the infestation type movie. Yeah, but it's just that part. Like they just assume you know everything else. Everything about else, the world. but it's like we've just figured out she's in this grocery store. She's one of these ten people. We're gonna figure out which one she is. <laughs> and so I always admire that. Or just ignore that you know, just cut out the part of the movie we've seen before and just stretch what's left to yeah. movie length. I well I think in horror movies uh, and sci fi movies, when they're were at their worst is when they try to over explain the science. Mm. And then you lose all the mystery and you're like, that's when you can pick it apart, right? The more details you have, you're like, no, that would that would not yeah. happen like that. It's, uh, having some of the mystery lets you focus on the story the person's trying to sell and so, instead of the science. Yeah, which this it. movie does yeah. a really good job of. You yeah, know, yeah. It, it shows Agreed. you what's happening yeah. and then just like the minimum possible, well, there's this thing yes. called a graph. Yeah. And... That's it. That, yeah, that's all that's the techno babble we have is her talking about flowers at the very beginning. The yeah. rest of it is just happening. And, and it helps that you have Spock there saying, no, this is impossible. This is impossible. <laughs> this is impossible. You're like anywhere that you would normally have somebody explaining what's happening, right. like uh, Jeffrey Wright in The Invasion. Oh, yeah. You have yeah. Him just Do they saying, try like, to explain the science in that like, one? It's like, no, I'm not going to let you try to explain it because it's impossible. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, this movie definitely showed the way that way. And, yeah, yeah. in my thing. You know, I obviously have to explain the mechanics of it because yeah. there's this sort of delineation of the different kinds of immunity and stuff like that. But I, I steer as far clear as I can of <laughs> any sort of explanation of how it could happen. No scientific advisors on your uh, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so do you have it mapped out, like how it's going to end or how it, where it goes? You have it all figured out. 
I find it better. People will react better if they don't know that the answer to that. <laughs> yeah, it's like it, it is. It's it's interesting to to be like, hmm, I wonder where you know how much he has planned out and what you know. Because yeah, there's the, uh, the, the one of the great uh, disjunctures in sci-fi fandom is between uh, well, in '90s sci-fi fandom was between fans of Star Trek: Deep Space Nine and, and Babylon Five. Mm -hmm. And Babylon Five, they wrapped everything out from the beginning. And DS Nine. <laughs> They were never more than two or three episodes ahead of themselves in terms of the plan, and I think they both ended up about equally good. Yeah. <laughs> so I think both, those are both very valid ways. Uh -huh. As long as, if you're going to just do the two or three things ahead, you have to really know your past. Yeah. If you don't know your past episodes and you try to fake it, then that's where you you because stumble. And I like always go back to my earlier things because some I'll find stuff in my earlier stuff. It's like, oh wow, this really hooks into this future thing. Some things I do plan a season ahead. Way towards the beginning, and I think in the first episode of season two, Roxanne says, you know, there's some guy downstate who's kidnapping looker women. Yes. <laughs> I didn't realize that until I went back just now and listened to all three seasons um, after we finished the third season. And I was like, oh, it's in the first season. <laughs> and that's their, you know, primarily to, to just to make a point that yeah. like humans aren't yeah. any better than they used right. to be. They just have a, a reason to stick together that they didn't have before. And also to show that some people just don't care what happens to lookers because yeah. their boyfriend's like, is that our problem? Who cares right. if that's happening? I but, think... but, but when I wrote that, I knew with a certainty that that story was, I wasn't just going to like drop that <laughs> and never go through. I knew that like the next season or some sometime yeah. very soon was going to be telling that story. Yeah. So I do, I, I do plan that far ahead at least. And, you know, I definitely have plans now for what season four is going to be like. Yeah. But, you, know, you would hope I that. I think as a writer, you have to leave that, you have to be a little flexible because sometimes the story changes itself as mm. you're writing it. And if you try to force the preconceived notions you have of a story onto the plot as you're working at it, you, you can tell that as someone that's listening to it or watching the work. You can really tell when someone's been too stringent and like they thought mm. this out ahead and then they wrote this, and it doesn't quite work, but this is where they wanted this story to go, and they would refuse to change it in any way. Yeah, in season three, there was a lot of exam examination and re-examination of how close I wanted Lorna to be to, like, or the listener to be to, like, actual mm -hmm. terrible things happening. Yeah. Because it's so hard to express physical trauma and stuff like that uh -huh. through audio drama. So... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you don't want to be exploitative and you don't want to, you know, it's just sort yeah. of like, so just like get, um, get the audience to understand what happened, but not necessarily to be right there while it's happening. Yeah, I found, I thought you've achieved a good balance with that, where you like gave us enough that our minds took over. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah what that, that's what it's yeah. all about, because, yeah, I can't actually... There's so much that you can't you can't do in a body snatcher type situation, you know, yeah. a body snatcher situation if you can't have show people's faces. Right. We, I think I think we'll be talking about that in future weeks, <laughs> especially in the invasion. Well, Susan, thank you so much for coming here and joining oh, us. Oh, sure, that was absolutely my pleasure, and I really, really look forward to season four and you know seeing what happens. And you're just uh, this is an amazing project you're doing, and I mean you're writing it and directing it. It's just like oh my god, it's 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 <laughs> like I, I just I'm you know just so in awe of this incredibly complex project. 
Oh, thank you so much. Um, well, why don't you tell our listeners uh, where they can find you on the internet? I am. Uh, I have The Shining website up at theshining237.com. And then I guess I'll be doing a separate website for Rosemary's Baby 666. It'll be something like, God damn it, I need to buy this right now. Rosemary, <laughs> before you tell people, Rosemary's Baby 666.com. Probably. We'll see. Uh, You've got two to four weeks. But I'm on, yeah. I'm on um, Facebook and Twitter with The Shining 237. And so just, you know, follow Follow me there, and I'll lead you to wherever I end up <laughs> next. <laughs> yeah, and that, but that, and Bob's been on a couple uh, times, and those are two. Yeah, I've been on a couple times, and that that uh, that podcast is very fun, and it's just lovingly handcrafted, and Susan doesn't let an interesting detail go by without <laughs> giving it its full due. And I, I love. I love, love, love the episodes you're on. They're so great. They're so. Those are oh, those are yeah. two of my favorites, definitely. I got to talk about Lloyd the bartender, which was my yeah. dearest wish. So that's great. <laughs> And then Maria, is there anything you would like to tell our listeners, particularly those who might be, who are, or might soon be around Chicago? Yes, for those in Chicago or visiting Chicago this summer, I'm involved in a, well, I wrote and am directing an adaptation of an Oscar Wilde short story called The Selfish Giant. It's geared towards children and it's about a giant that comes back after seven years and sees all these foreign children playing in his yard. So he builds a wall to keep them out. <laughs> Any coincidence to current <laughs> events or people is purely coincidental. No one could be uh, that no, selfish. No, no, You can find out more about that on uh, ghostlightensemble.com's website. That's in June. And also every first Friday of the month, I am part of a late night science fiction variety show called The Eccentric Expedition at Otherworld Theater. Um, that's at 11 p.m. It's a lot of fun and wacky and crazy. Oh, that's wonderful. That sounds great. I wish I was in Chicago. (laughs) Yeah. Well, if you're ever coming for a visit, plan for the first Friday. I need need to visit. I do need to visit. All right. And thank you both. And thank you at home for listening. We will be back soon with probably in approximately one week uh, with uh, talking about Abel Ferrara's 1993 hodgepodge of a movie, Body Snatchers. (laughs) which we seem, as I say, to have precognitive ideas about what we're going to say during that. (laughs) All right. Well, goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Dueling Genre.